Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yawkcast for October 17th, 2016, featuring poet Emily Skillings leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets. The Brooklyn Poets Yawk is held on the second Monday of every month at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Jay Jurgensen, Anam Satar, Isabel Marcus, Jessica Powers, Harvey Sauce, Diego Perez, Sarah Perez, Arthur Russell, Abby Conklin, Richard Fine, Aaron Nelson, Bill Livingston, Saba Fadai, Tamara Lee, Donna Hunt, Jackie Brage, Ricardo Hernandez, and the author of the year, Julie Hart. So, without any further ado, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic. Enjoy. We have a new mic. Admire the amazing mic. That really wasn't that enthusiastic, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, welcome to the Book of Y'all Open Mic. Uh, I, you know, I was just like, I am Jason Koo. This is really not necessary information, unless you don't know me. Uh, a few announcements before we begin. Uh, this is the last week to register for a few of our final fall workshops, including Emily Skillings, as I told you about, with Simone Cardi, which begins next Wednesday. Uh, my workshop to your readers, writing to different audiences. The deadline is also this Sunday, along with Joanna Valente's narrative poetry workshop. So if you're interested in narrative poetry, the poetics of space, high-row subjects, or writing to different audiences, uh, take a look at those workshops on our website. Also, the last workshop of the fall by Josh Megan is on free verse techniques. A lot of people think free verse is just like, do whatever the fuck you want. I'm quite accurate, so Josh will take you through what Freeverse is all about. That deadline is October 30th. Um, a few announcements, other announcements, a few other announcements before we begin. By the way, how's everyone doing? Hey, oh, like this light, because I hate it's it. <laughs> it's usually like too dark, and now it's like way too bright. Uh, I haven't been to the dentist in like four years, but not because I'm not the dentist. Um, so how about those Cleveland Indians? Like, oh, yeah. I was telling Arthur, Cleveland has not lost in the playoffs since I grew this beard. So uh, we'll see how long it continues. They only need six more wins, and we have two titles in one year. Since, we haven't had one since 1964. So uh, I thank all of you for making that possible. Uh, so let's be efficient tonight, because I do have a game to get to, along with Donna. She's wearing her, she's been wearing that shirt for the last five days straight. Uh, she won't change it until they lose. So uh, let's give Donna a big round of if you haven't been to the Yop open mic before, you get three minutes on the mic. Please do not go over. We have a packed list, as always. Uh, we try to get through at least 20 readers if we can. If you are on the wait list, uh, I will try to get you, but we usually only get to like maybe three or four off the wait list. If you want to get on the 
main lineup, the best thing to do is to sign up really after the end of the up tonight. You can do it, in fact, on your phone. The earlier you sign up, the better, because it fills up in about a week and a half to two weeks every month. Um, we vote for poll of the month every month. Uh, we have our winner last month right here, Tamara Lee. Let's give her a round of applause. If you win poll of the month, and it's voted by uh, audience votes, and I'll give you I'll give you my cell phone number in a second so you can make your vote. Uh, if you win poll of the month, you get to compete in our poll of the year SmackDown, which is at the December Yawk. So whatever the second Monday in December is, that is when the twelve winners of poll of the month compete for the coveted honor of poll of the year, which Arthur Russell won last year. Eleven. Actually, there are twelve because we take the one from December. Oh, because somebody was missing. Someone didn't show up last year. There was supposed to be 12. Yeah. Trust me, you know I'm OCD, Arthur. There were, there were supposed to be 12 competitors. One just didn't come. She was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's not, it's not, not for me. Um, so, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, if you don't have it already, most of you have my number. It's insane. 718-374-1953. I will be repeating that throughout the night. 718-374-1953. All you have to do is text me the name of the poet or the name of the poem. We total the votes up, and that is the winner. Uh, if you do not want to appear on the recording, every month we do record the Off Open Mic as a podcast. We call it the Yawpcast. That usually goes live about two weeks after the Yawp. Uh, if you do not want to be in the recording, you should tell me, because if you don't, we assume that you are okay with us making you famous. <laughs> okay, is that it, Arthur? That's, That's all the it. announcements? All right. Very good. So our first reader of the night, you just took a workshop with her. Give it up for Emily Skillings. Vibrated the canary at a new frequency, 
over to the east side, hands building a serum out of the day. I wipe mayo onto microfiber car seat, makeup to underside of Heather Gray couch, into that damp, fresh hotel white, excess lotion on a colleague's ottoman, upholstered in damask roses. Something you put in me gets painted on eggshell walls. I polish the side of your mouth with a greased thumb, thinking about how, when John Cage studied architecture, he would carefully rub oil from his face into tiny wooden boxes he'd fit in. A silver pool gathers somewhere low and bratty in me and seeps outward. I know I own all this, the way the overcup oak claims the ground, the sloping windshields, the slow-moving residents with resinous sticky dust. In Borough Hill, I apply my friend's $100 whipped Breeze marine, white and cold as rabbit fur in its porcelain tub. Ignore the little plastic spatula designed to discourage the contaminated hand from intruding. I dip the pad with three fingers. Waves of ancient minerals crash across my face. I smell like a new coin. The cream is not the same for it. Tomorrow I'll be whisked into the corners of her eyes as I walk down the stairs, fingers attending to folded band-aid that has adhered to itself in my back pocket, old brown blood like a token. The tea grows stronger. I have infected the air around my house with my house's cake. If you teach me to behave out there in the grids and waves, I will pluck a hair from my filthy head and place it in your mouth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Be careful around her. <coughs> Next up, uh, we have our first reader of the night, not named Emily Skillings. Give it up for Jay Jurgensen. This is called Stage Fright. As a child, I came late to the performing arts and theater and dance. As a college sophomore, I did my first and last cattle call in 1983 for Disney World vying for seven spots against nearly 800 better trained, more talented, and extremely experienced competitors. I chose a noble profession of architecture, and with a master's in both architecture and business from the heart of the Midwest, I sought my first job in real estate during the second to last bubble, and instead founded and for nearly 20 years grew my consulting practice to 18 full-time staff, and was considered an expert in my community. For the last 10 of those 20, I was on the dais and venues of various sizes around the country, often by myself with heavily animated PowerPoint presentations. A laptop projector and remote mic were my weapons of choice, as I convinced community leaders around the country they had the power to transform and lift themselves out of economic challenges, provide affordable housing, or escape haven for those at the bottom line. The formula I provided was actually a recipe mixed for local flavor with a heavy dose of passion. 
I remember thinking, well, I hadn't been successful on a traditional stage. Like Will and Grace's Karen, I didn't do theater here. I am theater. <laughs> Yet not one performance caused queasiness in my stomach. Not one presentation showed up. <coughs> Never did I have trouble finding my words. <clears throat> but each time I visit this illustrious group of amazing talent, my heart gets lodged near the base of my tongue. My breath quickens, mouth dries, and nerves are free. Light is now. Are the truths that I speak to you more revealing, and therefore my oratory nakedness causes me nervousness? I felt great passion for the issues I fought for, the challenges I fought against, and the folks I taught and inspired to overcome. Your creative prose that I share here seems no less, but no more important, but the angst is something no Ben Survey has a pain to overcome. <laughs> and after I thank you for your thunderous applause. <laughs> Thunderous indeed. Uh, just a word to uh, try to speak into the mic. We do have uh, some kind of musical performance downstairs. Um, try not to be cynical about it. Uh, but you do need to speak into the mic not only to put security, but also so that it gets picked up on the recording. Um, if the mic is too tall for you, just uh, you know adjust it. That's like what is it? Righty tighty loosey. Whatever the however that goes. So turn it to the left. If you, want to, if you need help, I'll come help you. Uh, anyway, so that's the technical stuff of tonight. Uh, our next poet of the evening is Anam Sitar. Give it up for Anam. Sometimes a wicked witch I comb her curls 
Unhappy and unwilling, she frets, spits seeds and twists her unkissed, shimmering mouth before she blows the candle out and buries her head beneath the covers. There's nothing like a romantic evening at our home. Part two. Placing the newspaper side at last, I lose myself to the canvas of her face, for a pretty picture could always amuse any man bored with reading. But was I not a stable boy riding? Was I not the blue bird alighting upon a branch of her finger? And had I not traveled to the hill of her beak, would lovers now be able to lie there as well? Some day I would turn into a tree, dead to her sweet nothings, all her hardship carvings going up and down my white trunk. Part three. Hard at work as always, my snow white polishes silverware and places the cutlery into the cupboard of my neck. Graceful as the wind, she picks up crumpled leaves and strews them on the rug, but on, a, on her way back, she exclaims, Good gracious, you're not the prince. Put these clothes back on before I cut your forest off. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a ritual all night. Shrinking and increasing the microphone. Bye. Uh, by the way, everyone that's standing, there is a chair here, a chair here, and a chair here. So why don't you guys fill in now? Because I'm going to feel bad if you're standing for the entire hour. And there are now all those chairs over there. Can you remind us of your phone number? Yes. <laughs> 718-374-1953. <coughs> and you win over the month. My birthday is August 3rd, Christmas is December 25th. Uh, what did you say? Can you win tonight's all of the month if you already won? You cannot. Thank you for reminding me. If they, somebody already won home of the month this year, uh, you can't win again. But the problem is not everyone's going to know, so just vote for who you like. And uh, if you voted for someone that already won, it's just going to be like voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> Our next vote of the evening is Isabel Marcus. Give it up for Isabel. by the poem, Yo! by John Sands and Adam Faulkner. Yo, guy behind the counter at Liberty Deli! You slice different breads, toast them and spread shit on them, while greeting customers and reciting their orders to the griddle cook in a constant, smooth, taxi dispatcher stream of words. You are always moving, but you make no extra movements. Sometimes you even throw things into the garbage behind you without looking back or putting down your knife. Yo, Judaism! My favorite part of you is your melodies. Yo, consistency! Let me get to know you. I want you in my life more often, like more consistently. <laughs> Yo, lake! I love the moment when I go underwater and feel you all around me for the first time. When I am underwater, I like to look down at your soft, blurry bottom, then up through my private porthole to the sky, Yo, son, don't forget to make the little tips of the lake sparkle in the morning. Yo, riffraff, hooray! <laughs> Yo, Alinda Lee Segarra, your music makes me want to become a rambling man, 
It makes me want to learn something on my own, master it, and give it back to the world. Yo, Ezra, in 3B, you don't know how much fun it is to teach woodworking to a kid who speaks with a British accent. Yo, wood! I love drawing a straight line on you with a sharp pencil and a square. I love following that line as close as I can with a saw. I love pushing your sawdust into a pile with a broom and sweeping it into a dustpan. That dustpan full of sawdust, that is my movements, my energy, transformed into substance. Even more than the piece I build, that is the measurement of my labor. But wood! I love the loud popping sound of the hammer hitting the nail. I love the efficient, incremental shortening of the nail as it progresses into you. Yo, electric hand drill! <laughs> when I put a new drill bit in you, I feel like a hitman in a movie preparing his pistol. Except even cooler, because I'm about to create. Yo, Brooklyn Nets! I love you. <laughs> you remind me of me, because you don't always live up to my standards. <laughs> Yo, tall buildings! Keep doing what you're doing. You do it with power and grace. Yo, Becky! <coughs> I admire and respect you. I envy you. I'm proud of you. I resent you. I think you are beautiful and strong and disciplined. I worry that living so close to my flaws has hurt you. I love hearing you sing as you take your shower and get ready for bed. I love your body. Sometimes I like to peek in on you when you're sleeping to see if you're actually awake and want to hang out or just to see you asleep. I remember when your hands were very small. I love your small hands and your big hands. Thank you, Isabel. Yeah, I know. Stop doing that all guy thing. Stop doing that. Well, you don't tell me I just have to bend over. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me to crouch. That's one thing. No, that was my job. That's stupid. Next up, I have a very interesting parenthetical note here. It says late. Does that mean she's coming later? Oh, okay. Is, is she here now? No. Well, we'll see if she gets here. Our next vote of the evening is Jessica Powers. Give it up for Jessica. Upside down beside the mass turnpike while the radio played on. 
beating heart, bare feet, glass and skin, alive. I sleep restfully without a body crawling on top of me. The morning smells like open pores and quiet and cold, and I sip coffee under a starlit sky while mouths drool on sunken pillows. Me, just me, and that's all there is as the stars fade away but are still there like so many others. I go into the street and the stars light the Atlantic. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for your height as well. Thank you, Patty, for laughing. Our next poet of the night is Harvey Sauce. Give it up for Harvey. is called Lollipop Kid. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank entices customers, among whom I count myself, with flavorful lollipops. Smiling tellers set these out on strategically placed trays so that depositors can pull a sucker, or in my case, a pocket full of them, while the waggish ATM sticks out its tongue of twenties. Certainly, it must be a truism in banking circles that the world of, part of personal finance is unevenly divided, us and them, between those who love lollipops and those who give lollipops, with the latter having use of the former's money. I myself am particularly fond of the purple and green ones, noisily sucking on the sacral Omicron of my sweetie, regularly making small withdrawals, replenish my supply. Occasionally, in the event of a shortage, purple and green lollipop lovers having made a run on the bank, I settle for individually wrapped red or yellow, but I refuse to lick the orange ones, as too much resembling at real Donald Trump's head on a stick. Professor Henry Iggins learns something of the ill effects of high-flown English. It's not as if she didn't warn you. Day after day, seemingly for hours on end, she sang defiance in the shower. What she would do if you got a cramp a little ways from her. You chose, ill-advisedly, to pish-posh the cockney in her that pushed back against your speech of her. Of course, you couldn't have known she would wade out garning and dowing in those frilly pumps you made her wear, swan shoes for duck's feet, wholly unsuitable for heads up beach going, or that she would push your head down under towards dreadfully accented Australia, muffling your attempt at a lesson in life-saving. Eliza, cackling like a demented Ethel Merman, you, dry wit of a gentleman loath to be a merman. 
H not owl were the last words you heard before your protesting lungs filled up with a salty response. <laughs> Shy, not shit. In an instant transparent as jellyfish, she shrugs off her forcible conversion and squishes off to town with a flower basket of blimeys in those bloody, puddled shoes. To meet non-professorial Freddie under the lilac trees where she lives, by that townhouse you border, sharing an ice cream soda with two straws, sucking noisily, contentedly, while you drown. Thank you, Harvey. Can't wait till the tall poets read. <laughs> Is Judy here? Is Judy here? Pay attention, Ricky. I'm asking you a question. Is Judy Schneider here? Thank you. Our next poet, I believe, is a Yop debuter. Give it up for Diego Perez. Diego! You are a healer. It may have taken a long time, but in the end, it did not matter. After much healing through self-observation, she now had strength, she now had courage, and the wisdom to wield her new magic of virtue. No longer did she run away from her pain or her troubles. No longer did she allow delusions to capture her mind. No longer did she doubt that the greatest healer she had ever met was her own unconditional love. Thank you, Diego. I appreciate it. Not only were you efficient, but you were tall. <laughs> Next up is, I believe, a relation of yours? Yeah. Yes? I mean, you signed up together, so I assume so. <laughs> Give it up for Sarah Perez. intention and passion on a regular Tuesday night, the surprises that I inevitably, inadvertently ruin, that nevertheless show me just how much you love me and think of me. The way you think of and then do what you think I would love and appreciate the most. The feeling I will remember forever, no, many, no matter how many more lifetimes come, of being in your arms, soft and strong, secure and loved. Left-brained, I will learn to be light-brained, right-brained. Falling short, I will always come back and try again, with even more determination and heart. So you can feel just how much every atom of me is bursting with eternal love for you. So you can know how much my thoughts and wishes are directed towards you. 
so you can be warm and full as you bask in the love from my being to yours, so you can be happy and feel supported in our joined path, so we can have this one perfect, blissful life together, this one second in universal time as one, this one breath of pure love and happiness, our moment, before ultimate peace and infinitude. That was so sweet. <laughs> Kissing back there. This is like <laughs> the Brooklyn Poets Yacht, where romantic dreams come true. <laughs> I love you, baby. <laughs> I'm talking to my girlfriend back there, not just all of you. <laughs> Wait, no offense. <laughs> uh, I felt like I had to say that. <laughs> Uh, our next poet of the evening is, uh, you know, you know who he is. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Hi, everybody. So before I read, I wanted to invite you all to come out to Rutherford, New Jersey, this Sunday for the launch of the Red Wheelbarrow Poets Number no. Nine. There's a flyer over there. It takes place at the Meadowlands Museum on Crane Road, Rutherford, which is also the home of the William Carlos Williams room. So, pick up a flyer and come if you can. There will be refreshments. Knows <laughs> <laughs> us so well. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't even rehearse. <laughs> this is called Faces. He was the brother to whom it fell, to sell his parents' home, traveling down to Charlottesville all those years, to visit both, then one of them, then just the house. In the room where he'd read books as a child, other than the oxygen tank beside the recliner that replaced the wing chair that he loved, little had changed. Dried hydrangeas in vases, brocade drapes, an oil painting of a clipper ship lunging through the sea. There were secret faces in the abstract pattern of the wallpaper. He'd seen them first when he was seven, like the moon behind a scrim of trees. He froze, pretended to ignore, then peeked again and saw a whole tribe of faces around the room with crayon jaws and heavy eyes, most obscured in part by drapes or chairs, but the one above the radiator, like an Easter Island Moai, was chief of the faces, the one with whom he parlayed and made peace, whom he acknowledged when he passed through the room to elsewhere, who held his gaze when parents fought to hold back tears, accused him when he lied or acted mean to girls, and understood him well enough to help him draft, as he turned 18, the articles of leaving home. When married, divorced, and married again, 
with a stepson playing football for state. He returned to empty and sell the house. He made his phone calls from that chair beside the oxygen tank across from the chief of faces who had a scarred cheek from a raised seam in the paper after years of darkening radiator heat. This is how life found him that November, talking to his sister in New York, to a broker from Weikert, and to Goodwill for a pickup date, and gazing at the moai on the walls like a sort of class photograph. The cargo of books he'd read was safe within him as he lunged through the sea to a harbor of his own. Thank you, Arthur. I appreciate your height as well. Next up, are you guys getting too getting tired of these height jokes? <laughs> yes. Thank you for your honesty. Our next one of the evening is Abby Conklin. Give it up for Abby. Um, 
and yet he pauses from time to time just for a moment to peek at a passing bird. Stop! green-eyed daughter. Everyone recalls their first mouth-to-mouth -mouth kiss. For me, it's not a quick flashback, but a haunting reminiscence. A rerun of savoring, skin tingling again. A warm yearning in my arms as I try to embrace a long-gone flame. Ripka was the catch's daughter. She was sleeves to wrists. Dressed to ankles, orthodox. But two blocks from Hamilton High and three blocks from her home, we detoured from our usual route and escaped into the park under a canopy of trees and behind a green veil of bushes. She laid down her algebra, history, and Shakespeare, and I my geometry and chemistry. <laughs> chemistry. I am the candidate's pretty green-eyed daughter. She ran her fingers across my neck as mine slipped under her sleeves, kicks on the cheek. While like a novice shoplifter, she turned her head left and right again and again. When then our tongues waltzed, slowly waltzed. Somehow my hands were suddenly up her blouse just as neighborhood brass went into the park. The unwanted chaperones taunted us with a promise that they would tell. A promise fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> and legions of aunts took turns driving her home as she was transferred to a girl from Cuba. <laughs> she never walked home with me again, except perhaps, maybe, in her memory. But I walk her home almost every day. With no rope, father, high on a dais, singing loud hymns. And always above Ripka and me, there's that swaying, leafy canopy. While the green bell gently blows aside in the late spring breeze. And most of all, her green eyes. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Once again, to vote for best poem of the night, 718-374-1953. Apparently, Saba has entered the room. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get settled. Our next poet is, I believe, another Yop Day viewer. Give it up for Aaron Nelson. This is my first time, so I might block out. If I read my resume, so Emily, I guess we'll call it um, Pack Light. Where will she land this time? The city feels right, says her intuition. Then reality hits with acknowledgement. Where am I? I came for adventure, a love lost in exploration. Which direction is the sun? Another suitcase emptied, its belongings revolve. What is mine? The heart and the hearth are patchwork. With warmth we interlock. Suddenly, there's heat, independence. I decide what belongs in my suitcase. 
you, Aaron. <laughs> Our next poet of the evening, one of my favorite poets, get over Bill Livingston. Yeah. <laughs> I love the new mic. I feel like Billy Holiday. <laughs> this is based on the workshop last month that Jason taught. Uh, it's an idea of the how to do this, how to do that. This is how to bend the will. To bend the iron will of your master or spouse, you must first corral it into a cage of equal or greater strength. Parade it through town in an open horse-drawn wagon to a blacksmith's shop that's been given fair warning. Start the forge fire with the tinder of pine needles and shopping bags. Grow it to a roar with coal and coke and pump of bellows. Unlock the cage and secure the will with steel tongs, keeping clear of its snapping jaws and acid spittle. Thrust it into the white-hot glow of the forge. Pull it out when it becomes as red as the anger it stirs within you. With a quickness, place it on the anvil and strike with a ten-pound hammer until the will flattens and the red fades back to black. Return it to the fire until red and continue the assault as its screams weaken. Use the horn of the anvil to make a round curve until it completely gives in. Return its center to the flames and pump the bellows. With another pair of tongs, turn and turn to create a decorative twist. Finish bending the will into a fireplace poker or podhook, whatever you wish. Put it to good use when the home fires are lit. Keep it close to the flame. And always, always keep steel tongs nearby to keep the will at bay or to control your own should it become a threat to others. This is another how-to poem I wrote. Uh, earlier this year. It's evolved uh, throughout the months. How to be the best Republican ever. <laughs> Set your clocks back to 1950. Remove all foresight. No need to look forward. Be white by any means necessary. Be a man. Only your wife or mother can control your body. Be the loudest one in the room. Let the meek inherit the rest of the, of the earth. Listen to country music exclusively, except Keith Urban. Being married to Nicole Kidman ain't country hoss. Actually live in the country. Don't be that stubborn ball of flour in the melting pot. If you're rich, live next to a country club. Toast the minorities who tend the greens, yet could never be members. Stay far away from cultural institutions, such as libraries, museums, theaters, art house cinemas, and bars featuring poetry nights. Everything you need is on Fox, Fox NASCAR, and the internet. Buy a gun, then another, then another, then another. Buy more bullets than you can possibly use in any kind of apocalypse. Protest abortion and Planned Parenthood with the same fervor you protest gun regulations. Let others appreciate the irony. Show your southern pride and fly the Confederate flag. Show your northern ignorance and fly above the Mason-Dixon line. Love thy neighbor. 
as long as they're straight, white, Christian, Republican, and actually your neighbor. <laughs> Go to bed early. Late night talk show hosts mock your heroes incessantly. Make love only in the missionary position. You can get creative when the NEA is obliterated. <laughs> Fill your nightstand with exciting works of fiction. Start with Rand, Clancy, Lacar, and of course, the Bible. <laughs> Instill envy in your peers. Take a selfie with Donald Trump, Sarah Palin, or a dead lion. Support lawmakers who, defend, who defund public education while you teach your children to hate, hate, hate. Adopt a firm grasp of right and wrong. Remember, cops are always right, and Black Lives Matter is always wrong. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Then do the opposite. Always offer thoughts and prayers without actually thinking or praying. Numb yourself to war, but choose your enemies wisely. Start with Muslims, Mexicans, filthy liberals, and the irksome truth. Read this poem. Hate this poem. It doesn't even rhyme. Burn a cross on my lawn. Ignite it with these words because I'm very different from you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I was just trying to imagine the sexual positions that would break out in the world. <laughs> uh, what would that be like? Uh, so it's already after nine, and uh, we're not even through the main open mic list. So I ask that all the remaining poets who I'm going to call to the mic, please just read your best poem. Read like the poem that would make Patty Greenberg proud. <laughs> if Patty Greenberg doesn't mean anything to you, read the poem that would make fucking Shakespeare proud. If Shakespeare doesn't mean anything to you, just, you know, read something good. <laughs> What's with everyone tonight? What's <laughs> strange vibe? Is, is it the light? It's the light. The light always makes it, when the light is bright, it's like, it's like everyone has pictures. It's like, oh, everyone's going to see my pores tonight. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like I've been lost. Well, you know, let's, let's, let's try to get through this together. Our next poet uh, was late, but we're going to give her the mic now. Uh, I believe your name is pronounced Saba? Yes. Okay, give it up for Saba. Telling them what's wrong with me, how 
name request. How dare I? I came to this world without any goals. How dare I? I'm still searching for my passion, for my goals, for everything, for the meaning of the life. How dare I? Wait a minute. Maybe I came to this world to be a wonder. How dare I? <laughs> Thank you, Sama. Our next poet, one poem of the month in September. Give it up for Tamara Lee. Thank you. Um, I personally kind of freaked out just now on your We Have to Be Good. <laughs> I don't know if this piece is good, so. Sorry, Jason. Um, okay. So this is also a breakup thing. Uh, it's called He Brought Me Flowers. Uh, and it's still kind of really raw, which is why I'm gonna it. We'll see. Don't worry, I'm gonna start crying. Uh, <laughs> he brought me flowers. They were white, white lilies, unique, reserved, hopeful, like him. Most of the petals were long and cautiously holding themselves together, meticulously tight, wrapped around little passionate purple secrets, just waiting to be discovered, like me. I, wonder if, I wondered if he brought her flowers the first time. I wondered where he thought they would get him. If it had worked for him in the past, if lilies were his go-to flower, or if he was trying something different out. You should ignore thoughts like that, he said to me, <coughs> in my mind. <laughs> Maybe it was telepathy. But regardless, I couldn't ignore them. This was exactly the problem. She was the problem. No, actually, he was the problem. And between the two of them, there was hardly any space for me to exist. Our silence was hot and thick, and we both felt more comfortable pretending. In the silence, each flower murmured little symphonies, oozing with crescendos of romantic cliches. We needed the bees to be our messengers and bridge the distance between us, to pollinate our dreams, carry our hopes like seeds. <laughs> We knew the delivery would probably sting and inflame us. Because what these lilies needed was nourishment. For the stems underneath, already they were starting to wilt and sag from complications between us. We should put them in water, I said. Yes, you should cut them at the bottom. It revives the life, he said. It seemed like that was always his solution. Sharp and brutal cuts so that we might meld our wounds together. Fuse and, transform, fuse and transform into a hybrid of something. Pain, perhaps, or growth. The two things come with one another. But it was too late for water. They were taken from the earth, from their sustenance, from their foundation. And I wondered, could they ever recover? Or were we fooling ourselves? And our hopes would die. Our hopes would die inside before they found the light. Sure, they would live for a time, hours or days even. They would appear to take on new motivation, but I knew the dry and brittle truth. The fadeaway was inevitable, and I hoped that I could find the strength to discard them back into the earth again. Camera. I knew when we had those like lovebirds reading early in the evening that it, it would be balanced out eventually by heartbreak and 
and sadness. So thank you, poets, for staying true to yourselves. Our next poet is my favorite Cleveland person on the planet at the moment. Give it up for Donna Hunt. and the turning back, the early morning light. I miss baseball, which keeps me up too late, but woos me with the structure, the one, two, three, stretch you're out, and the stretching. It's hard for me to admit winter is coming with the cold and the wind. I feel netted like small birds or large deer when November comes. My phone knows what time it's supposed to be, my laptop too. I go as long as I can, pretending I don't understand this darkness at 5 o'clock. The same way, I leave my twinkle lights up until at least February. <coughs> every little bit of light helps. Now it's dark on the way home. Everything over early or closed. The thing is, if there's a break in October, something important happened. Maybe a new picture, change of inning. And that's really what happens when it gets dark too early. I can't tell if the inning is over. I don't know who's pitching, who's on deck, if I should be at home or on the road. Thanks. I mean, not only are Cleveland sports teams doing well, but Cleveland Poets are kicking ass as well. That was great. Thank you. It's still 1 1, by the way. Thank you. Okay, we've got four more poets tonight. Uh, or is, did Robert leave? Robert Gibbs. Yes. He was like, before the event, he's like, oh, get me up there, man. And then he took off. <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe three poets. Uh, three poets. I can't even speak anymore. Next up is Jackie Brajay. Give it up for Jackie. I am a decent accident. Dad spun records under crusty disco balls while mom hushed crying babes and the boat rocked too much until the naval swell collided the cruise ship cabins together like Pangea in its earlier less broken days. <laughs> Supercontinent split into seven faces not knowing which to wear and maybe that's why I champion in bars. Lou Reed croons and the gin is strong, but can't seem to lie still in the many netted hands so eager to hold me. <coughs> On my birthday, I fell ass first in the snow, bit the hand that tried to lift me, like 
loosening my teeth to fake a better smile. It's beautiful the way women in laundromats fold t-shirts like photos of dead pets. And it's beautiful how the wrens trapped in my apartment call and claw impenetrable walls. And their thin cries sound like August morning through grade school windows. How a whole mountain long turned to dust still sends monarchs in a sharp eastward turn over Lake Superior. How in their lifetime not one butterfly will live through its flight from the south of Canada to Mexico. So we head east. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. Our next poet, I want to make you hold this mic as well. Give it up for Ricky Hernandez. <laughs> On this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of more commonplace super gay, to suggest the character of this most dramatic persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran of a cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer vanity, is a vestige of the Vox Populi, now both vacant and vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has bowed to vanquish these venile and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafingly voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a vote of nothing name. For the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. Verily, this vichy suave verbiage viz must be most. So let me simply add that it is my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. Always. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> my last quote of the evening, y'all for the year, Julie Hart. Okay, I tried to write a poem about the patriarchy, and uh, <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> the patriarchy or the poem? Oh, right. <laughs> so instead, I brought my most name droppy of all poems. It's called Reading. Emily Dickinson showed up at the reading, sat in the back, flipping through my chapbook impatiently snorting at my rhyme schemes, if any. <laughs> she raised her hand to ask a question. I thought I was a goner. Then Walt Whitman started arguing with Allen Ginsberg in the back of the room. I slipped out the side door and found a stool next to Frank O'Hara at Grumpy's. We exchanged favorite words for a while. Palimpsest, burl, sesquipedalian, inkling, ian, lacrimose for me. Celluloid, monolith, contiguous, ermine, tirade, catapult for him. Also, exclamation points in the middle of lines. He tossed the last shot of bourbon down our throats at the same time, threw an arm around each other, and burst into tears at the beauty of it all. <laughs> then, through that sheen on our cheeks, we began to laugh. Hydrophobia, I said. Maelstrom, he said. Thank you. <laughs> 
truly, uh, again, if you didn't get to read tonight, I feel for your pain. Please sign up now, in fact, uh, that's the earliest you can sign up for the next Yahoo mic, which is on the second Monday of the month in November. A few announcements before you leave, people. One, please take your cups and plates downstairs. It helps quite a bit as we have a lot to pack up. Two, the Brooklyn Poets Anthology is in production. Many of the poets in the room are in the anthology. We will be having an Indiegogo campaign to raise about what, three grand, it's not much, to help with production on November 1st. So stay tuned for that. Uh, again, workshop deadlines this Sunday as well as October 30th. I'm going to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time. <laughs> so there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop for October 17th. 2016. Thanks again to Emily Skillings for leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. Congrats to young poet Isabel Marcus for winning Yop Poem of the Month for October for her poem entitled Yo Guy Behind the Counter at Liberty Deli. For winning Yop Poem of the Month, Isabel gets a spot in our coveted Poem of the Year Smackdown in December, which is for all the marbles. Our next Brooklyn Poets Yop comes your way on Monday, November 14th. That will feature poet Miller Oberman leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. Again, for more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. We hope to see you there. Until next time.